and welcome to the Courtney and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. Hi, and welcome to another podcast from Corny and Lint Lawyers. I'm Barry Klopper, Associate at Corny and Lint Lawyers, and today we have with us joining us Luke Bourget from Corny and Lint Lawyers. How are you going, Luke? I'm good, thank you, Barry. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, mate. Now, today's podcast uh, was meant to be because Luke and I are both wearing happy socks today. Yes, we're wearing matching socks, oh. which is extraordinary. It um, is. thing to happen in an office. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's slightly unusual, particularly happy socks, but yeah. we're both happy people, so all good. Um, today in particular, we want to talk about, we've had a few matters come up recently, and I've done one myself, where we've had the public guardian and public trustee appointed to some clients, and they have requested that we bring an application for their removal. And in other circumstances, we've had clients requesting that they be appointed a financial administrator or a guardian for Mm. someone. Mm. So what Luke and I would like to talk to you about today is just how that process unfolds. Luke can ask me some questions Mm. that clients are asking us, Mm. and then hopefully I'll be able to give him some relative answers (laughs) that help him, (laughs) (laughs) that help help Luke to uh, solve the problem. So Luke, um, why don't you... Kick off with yeah, some well, quick, why don't we question. just start, you know, big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you could just explain in simple terms, you know, who is the public guardian and so. who is the public trustee? Okay, great. So there are two separate bodies in Queensland. Uh, the public guardian is a public body that is run by actually quite a lot of people. And they are appointed normally for a person to make decisions for that person when they become incapable of making decisions. Mm-hmm. And there's normally three areas that they get appointed in. Uh, One is for the provision of services, and that's mainly under the NDIS, so Mm. the National Disability Insurance Scheme is the one area they get appointed. They might also get appointed to make decisions in relation to the accommodation for a person, so Mm. that's simple Mm. as where you live, Mm. the apartment you Mm. rent. And then the other thing they can get appointed for is health matters, Mm. so they can get appointed to make decisions for a person in relation to their health. And the other one is for legal matters, so Mm. the public guardian can make trust. uh, decisions for a person in relation to commencing a legal action, for example, Mm. or uh, signing a lease or Mm. anything like that. Mm. Now, the reason why they're appointed is mainly because the person has lost capacity or the ability Mm. to actually Mm. make those decisions for themselves. Mm. And then the public trustee, once again, another public body, they are appointed for the finances Mm. of that person. So they administer the person's finances and there's actually a separation over there. Now, they might not be appointed together. So Mm -hmm. you might have a person who has a public guardian, but not a public trustee or vice versa. They might have a public trustee and not a public guardian. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and I think a key thing that you mentioned there is that it's appointed uh, by the court or appointed by QCAT. Correct. how is that different to say, well, our listeners might have heard of, say, an enduring power of attorney, mm. um, where someone can be an attorney uh, for a person, yeah. uh, 
Are they appointed by the court? Are they appointed by QCAT? No. Okay. So an enduring power of attorney or a power of attorney is someone that the person appoints to make decisions for them in the future when they lose capacity. So in order for you to appoint a power of attorney, the main difference is you need to have the capacity or the understanding of what you're doing Mm -hmm. when you appoint that power of attorney. Mm -hmm. So anyone can do that. And we could appoint a power of attorney today, for example, you and I, assuming you have capacity, which I'm assuming you do, Luke. Um, so we could appoint a power of attorney, but when a person loses capacity, they can't appoint a power of attorney. Mm-hmm. And that's when QCAT will step in mm-hmm. and appoint a public guardian or a uh, public trustee or someone else to make the decisions for them. So it's a court appointment. It's different to a power of attorney. And I suppose the reason for that is, and correct me if I'm wrong, or part of the reason for that is, say in our example, if I don't have capacity, Mm. uh, then you might be exploiting me by having me sign some document that gives powers to you. And so Uh, that's why the court steps in. Correct, absolutely. Look, um, yeah, that's it. I'd never want to exploit you, Luke. Maybe. No, no, no. I never want to exploit you, Luke. But the longer the short is, yes, um, the court steps in in that case. It's actually for the protection of the individual. Mm. One of the first tests uh, QCAT will have a look at when appointing a guardian or trustee to someone, the first thing they need to assess is whether that person has capacity. And that's normally done via a doctor's report or something like that, Mm. or a psychologist, which assesses the person and says they have capacity or they don't have capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. So, yeah. Okay. So... uh, Back to the public guardian and public trustee. Say, uh, I'll give you an example. Yep. I'm a I'm, uh, um, uh, 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 mother in my 60s or yep. father in my 60s. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and I have a, a family member, um, maybe a brother or a sister or someone who's, um, they've been appointed a public guardian um, by QCAT okay. for whatever reason. And, right. I, and I don't think that it's in the best interest of my brother or sister to have that guardian. Mm. I actually want to be appointed myself as that guy. I think it's... Right. It's, we want to keep it in the family. Right, um, right. How would one go about... Um, Removing dis- the public that's guardian. That's right, yeah. That's what you're asking yeah. me. Okay, so your situation in is... In circumstances where the person doesn't have capacity to appoint... And during power of attorney. Okay, so first of all, let me make this clear. When a guardian is appointed, a public guardian is appointed, all the enduring power of attorneys, which were in place, Mm. become null and void. Right. Providing they cover the same topic. So in that situation, for example, if you had a power of attorney in relation to making decisions on health matters, Mm. and a public guardian was appointed to make the decisions on health matters, Mm. the public guardianship's appointment overrides power of attorney. Mm -hmm. So that's important to know. In fact, normally as part of the orders for the appointing, they'll revoke the power of attorney. Mm. So in your situation now, you've got a guardian or a, a, um, a entrenched or looking after your mum and mm. you want to become the guardian. Mm. You actually need to apply to QCAT to have her removed, mm-hmm. uh, to have the public trustee removed as a guardian mm-hmm. of your mum. Mm-hmm. It's quite an involved process. Um, it's a simple form to fill out, but you actually need to leave quite a lot of evidence mm-hmm. uh, to do it. There's really two ways to remove a guardian. Mm. There's two things you could prove. You could either prove that the guardian was incompetent mm-hmm. or that you're a more appropriate person to be a guardian for your mother. Yeah. Most of the time, it's really difficult to prove that the public guardian or public trustee are incompetent. Yeah. So... The, I mean, it's their one job. It's their one. <laughs> Correct. And they've got a lot of people doing it. Yeah. And to be fair to them, they look after a lot of people and, and do a great job. So you really have to come mm. up with that 
I'm the more appropriate person yeah. to do that. Yeah. And that's where we come in. That's where Corny yeah. and Lynn comes in. Mm. And, and that's where we step up and we help you to build your case mm. to prove to QCAT or mm. the member who's just making mm. the decision that at the end of the day, you are the more appropriate. Now, QCAT will always lean to appointing someone who's more appropriate and your close ties with your mum mm. would certainly weigh in your favour. But mm. there are quite a lot of other hurdles you need to overcome. Yeah, so that's my next question. So you okay. beat me to it. Is what a... <laughs> In deciding what's the most, who's the most appropriate person or yeah. deciding whether someone is the most appropriate person, mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of grey there and a lot of uh, there is. room for discretion. Absolutely. Um, and it's, I, it, it feels to me it's not particularly formulaic, you know, tick a box and you, you know, follow and, the flow and you're chart. automatically a guardian. Yeah, no, it doesn't no, work like that. That it's no. a lot of, um, yeah, room for arguments and... <laughs> and raise yes, the colour rather yes. than black and white. What do, you, yes. what do you think, in your experience, what are some of the things that the court particularly takes into account mm-hmm. um, you know, in order to show that whoever is a more appropriate person yep. um, to, to be the guardian? Okay. Well, the Guardian and Administrationship Act lists a whole heap of criteria, and there's actually Schedule 1 in that act as well, which is referred to under Section, section 15 of the act, which lists all these criteria. Just to summarize them, the things that I would consider to be really, really important would be uh, your proximity to your mum in terms of the physical distance mm-hmm. between you and her, the ability for you to approve that you don't have any conflict uh, mm-hmm. in, in managing your mum's affairs. You certainly don't want to be taking any money from your mum for managing her affairs or, mm-hmm. or looking after her as a guardian. So that's an important thing that they'll take into account. And then the next thing they'll take into account is the autonomy. There's always, uh, it's always looked at favorably if you can provide the person or the adult who you are guardian over with the most autonomy possible Mm -hmm. relative to their capabilities, of course, to make Mm -hmm. their own decisions. So you really want to be showing the tribunal that you can facilitate where possible Uh, your mum's ability to make her own decisions. Yeah. A- and that's really important. They'll look at that very, very highly. They also look at things like, are you a fit and proper person? Uh, that's normally supported by evidence from your friends and um, acquaintances. It's good to have professional referees supporting your application for guardianship. Mm-hmm. I always find that works very well. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the small things that they'll look at. If you are applying to be a trustee and look after her finances, it's helpful if you can prove that you have some financial acumen mm-hmm. and you're able to do that job and you're able to budget mm-hmm. and prepare things like that. Often you have to prepare a financial plan for the tribunal. Yeah. And make sure that you actually do have some budget in place to yeah. s- for, for the spending of money yeah. and, and looking after uh, your mum moving forward, if that's what yeah. you're doing. So there's a number of criteria. You're certainly right. It's not black and white. And um, it really comes down to the persuasiveness of your argument and whether you're able to prove to the tribunal that you can meet those factors that they consider yeah. when appointing a yeah. guardian. Yeah. Um, obviously, the first step is to prove incapacity. But yeah. once you've gotten over that hurdle, then, yeah. then yeah. you need to start arguing yeah. your case. And I'm just looking at some of the things in that section 15 of the act that you mentioned now. Oh, yeah. Um, and one of the things is the person's appropriateness and competence to perform functions and exercise powers under an appointment order. Yeah. And in considering that, they look at criminal history, uh, the likelihood of committing any other criminal offences. Correct. Um, Over the age of 18. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the, are the circumstances of any refusal to make the appointments. Yes. Um, Whether you've had a refusal in the past, you've yeah. applied in the past for an appointment and you yeah. haven't been successful, yeah. the tribunal will consider that. Yeah. Uh, they'll consider any revocation of a power of attorney. Yeah. So if you were a power of attorney mm -hmm. and it was revoked because you misused the power of attorney, yeah. for example, you misappropriated funds from your mother. Bankruptcy, I can see if you've been bankrupt. Absolutely, uh, you're bankrupt. So basically when you're swearing, every application you bring, you yeah. support with an affidavit. Yeah. So an affidavit for our listeners is just a document uh, it's an evidential document where you put down a whole heap of evidence in relation to why you should be appointed. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important document to prepare and get right mm -hmm. um, because you use your affidavit to prove all mm -hmm. those points that you've mm -hmm. mentioned over mm -hmm. there in section 15 mm -hmm. and the other points we've discussed today. Mm -hmm. So that's where you need a lawyer to, to do some drafting mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. you and to get it right mm -hmm. the first time. Yeah. Um, the thing about QCAT as well is you don't need a lawyer to, to represent you. In yeah. fact, uh, as lawyers, we're not allowed to represent you until we seek leave mm. from the tribunal to do so. Mm. In our experience, that is relatively easily granted mm. by the tribunal mm. uh, for a lawyer to get leave to represent mm. someone. Mm. But it's still something you need to do. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, you can bring the application yourself mm -hmm. with QCAT. Um, but be warned, it's, uh, it, it's quite an arduous, arduous process and you need to put some time and thought into it to get mm. it right. Mm. And, and know what are the things that the court are looking for in yeah. making their decision. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And speak to those. Yeah. Um, that's important yeah. as well. Because the court will always, or the tribunal, will always question why you want to be appointed. Mm. You need some really good reasons. And particularly where you've got a public body instilled mm. as, as a guardian or a trustee, that's not doing a bad job. Mm. Mm. The adult is being looked after. So mm. why, why are you more appropriate than them? And, yeah. and that's, that's quite tough to prove. You, mm. you, you really have to work hard on mm. convincing them to do that. Mm. So where you think someone has lost capacity, mm. my advice is always, rather than challenge the appointment of a guardian or a trustee down the track, mm. apply for the appointment up front where there's no yeah. guardian or trustee yeah. appointed because your chances of success are far greater. Right, so it's easier at the start when there's no one in place <laughs> to get in early rather than to uh, do it later when someone's already, when the public guardian's already been appointed exactly. and you're trying to oust them. That's right, yeah. yeah. Oust, ousting an, an installed guardian is tough. Yeah. Uh, getting appointed when no one is appointed. Because then you almost have to show that they're doing a, a bad job. Or, or, or you're or more right. appropriate. Yeah. 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 I've never run a case where I've, I've, I've um, gone on the incompetency of a, a trustee or a guardian. That's mm -hmm. uh, not something I've ever done. I've always gone for the more appropriate. Mm -hmm. And, and um, we've been lucky because yeah. our clients have. And if you had run that, it would rarely be. Uh, against a public guardian or a public body. Yeah, 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 yes. It would be so against... If you, if, so it can happen for this example. You might be appointed, because you were first in best dressed, mm. you might be appointed um, guardian and, and administrator for your mum, mm. and then your brother might yeah. choose to challenge that appointment, yeah. and, and that is a common occurrence. Yeah. And then it might be a question of your incompetency. Yeah. Where you, you, know, you haven't done a good job, Luke, therefore yeah. you're out and your brother's yeah. in. He can do a better yeah. job. Um, you can appoint trustees jointly, though. And guardians. Yeah, okay. So that's interesting. So you and your brother could work together. Yeah. Okay, and you can be jointly appointed mm -hmm. uh, public trustee and public guardian. Then mm -hmm. the, the onus of proof is for you to prove to the tribunal mm -hmm. that you can work together as a mm -hmm. team mm -hmm. and that you're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. And there's no conflict of interest between yeah, you. Yeah. So uh, I have run a case where we had two friends appointed jointly. 
to to one of the uh, friends' son. And and that worked, and the tribunal was happy to appoint jointly Mm. in that situation. Um, This is really important if there's distance. Mm. So you might be living... Uh, in the same city as your mum, but your brother might be in Melbourne, for example, mm. or in, in, in Perth. Mm-hmm. And your brother might want to be a guardian for your mum and help with the decision-making, but because of his distance, uh, he's certainly not the, going to be the primary guardian for yeah. your mum. Then he can apply to be jointly appointed mm. with you and, and you can work on it together. Mm. So he's still involved in the process. Mm. And we'd encourage that, where mm. family members are involved in the process together, yeah. rather than one taking on all the mm-hmm. burden and mm-hmm. the other doing nothing mm-hmm. so yeah okay okay so if we keep going along this uh, scenario okay you've ousted the public guardian and you're yep. now the guardian well, okay uh what are some of the things is uh, it seems to me from the outside looking in it's quite a, a burdensome or could be quite a burdensome role to correct. have correct um do you think that people fully appreciate that um, when applying for the guardianship? No, they probably don't appreciate that, mm. to, answer, to answer your question. And so what are the things, sorry to interrupt, what are some of the things that uh, you would encourage people who are guardians um, to keep in mind um, when fulfilling their, right. their role? I think always think about the adult's best interest. Mm-hmm. That's your number one criteria you need to mm. put in. Before you make any decision for the adult, the question mm. is, can the adult make the decision themselves? Mm. If they can't, what's in their best interest? And mm. how do you make that decision in their best interest? Mm. Never ever consider taking any funds or any monies for yourself at all because at all, it's not in their best interest that you do that mm-hmm. and make every decision. Now, there is some protection under the legislation because the appointment of you as a guardian for a person is reviewed by the tribunal. Mm-hmm. So the tribunal won't appoint you for life. They will more than likely put a review date within 12 months right. or two years. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you'll go up to five years, to mm-hmm. be honest, depending mm-hmm. on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. They'll put a review date in. And then you will have to go before the tribunal for a review and yeah. you can be challenged on any decisions you've made for the adult during that time. Yeah. Also, if you're administering finances, you have to account mm-hmm. to the public trustee mm-hmm. uh, every year mm-hmm. and give the public trustee, uh, sorry, uh, pound to QCAT. Uh, and give them a financial budget or a financial plan mm. for the following year. And you need to account for the finances that you've run for the preceding year. Yeah. Yeah. So, And then those can, in, in, in the states where you have a large amount of assets that you're managing, they can mm. then be audited by, mm. uh, there's three three bodies that can audit a financial statement mm-hmm. that, the pub, that the QCAT can audit to... Yeah. to um, to audit your finances. So there are checks and balances yeah. and you need to understand that you are beholden to QCAT yeah. and you do have to report back to them. And if you do do uh, if you do, do something which is against the interests of the adult, then you can be removed. Yeah. The public guardian will be appointed in your place and then the public guardian, now acting for the adult, will then take legal action against you mm-hmm. to recover any monies lost because of the decisions you made. Wow. So there's a bit of risk there. <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit of risk. Um, yeah. and, and the public trustee and the public garden have their own solicitors, so yeah. they can quite um, easily mm. enforce mm. the adult's interests yeah. and then take legal action yeah. against you. And, and I've seen that happen. Mm. But it, it, it seems like the... It, it reminds me a bit of family law where the, the, the overriding interest is the best interest of the child. The overriding principle is acting in the best interest of the child. Correct. It seems that this is quite similar. Correct. Uh, in terms of if you're a guardian for someone, 
your primary consideration should just be acting in the best interests of the adult that you're caring for. Absolutely. Um, as well as, you know, and sh- part of that is, of course, being competent. Um, <laughs> but as long as you are you know, trying your best and doing what you can to comply, um, I sus- my understanding is that QCAT, they won't pick you out on um, no. technical little mistakes in the accounting and things like that, as long as you're acting in the best interests and can justify your decision-making. Correct. Uh, Correct. That's 100% right. And, and, and that's where you can seek professional advice. Mm. For example, you can employ an accountant mm-hmm. to prepare uh, financials. That's mm-hmm. fine. And you can use the adult's funding to, to pay that accountant. Yeah. That's fine. That's yeah. not a problem at all. Yeah. Those are prudent decisions where if you're managing a larger state, that's certainly something mm. you would do. Mm. You could pay for legal fees, for example, to get some advice in relation mm. to whatever you needed mm. to do. So mm. those, are, those are definitely avenues that are open to you. And I'd encourage every guardian to take advantage of those mm-hmm. avenues mm-hmm. um a, probably for their own protection mm. moving forward mm. yeah yeah and also i know this particular area can be alongside all of this it can be quite emotional um because there's <laughs> yeah. family involved and often the, the, yeah. the, the public guardian or public trustee can step in during a time of family crisis Correct. Um, and there's deadlines to act fast correct uh, what would you say to that in terms of navigating this legal process while there's a lot of uh, emotion and, and, and family crisis maybe going on at the same time? Okay, so look, I think it's important to keep a level head and to work together, but also to seek, where, where you've got a bit of turmoil and a bit of upheaval, probably seek some counselling as well mm-hmm. uh, yourself. Um, Lawyers are not necessarily the best counsellors. We don't always make the best counsellors, but we certainly can recommend counsellors who can help you through uh, traumatic times in people's lives. Mm. And and you're right. The the appointment of a guardian and a trustee is traumatic. Sometimes it's traumatic for the adult who's losing Mm. capacity. Mm. Uh, They really don't want someone to manage their finances. They've Mm. been doing this their entire lives. Mm. And now that they're elderly, someone else who's a foreign body has stepped in and they just can't go to the ATM and draw money out anymore. Mm. They have to actually physically go and ask someone mm. to access their own money and, and that's incredibly confronting for people mm. and what they really need to do in that situation is have that support network where, where we refer them to a counsellor who can just talk them through it mm. and help them with it mm. they're often struggling with other things in their lives to be honest with you at this time yeah and, and it's really important that you get the they get the support they mm. need uh, that's the adult and then the person applying for guardianship as well also has the support to understand exactly what you said what they're getting into mm. Uh, and, and make sure that they've got the resources. There's no point putting your hand up to, to, to be a guardian or be a trustee of someone if you can't do the job. Mm. That's mm. certainly not something we would recommend. Great. Thanks, Barry. That's, that's really good. Um, mm. I just thought I, something that struck out to me from the Act as we look to close up here. Yep. Um, the purpose of the Act, this is, sorry, the, the public... The uh, guardianship, guardianship and administration That's Act? the one. I got it. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, Chapter two, explanation. Uh, okay. And then there's a, the purpose of the act. Yep. And this really struck out to me, and it seems like this is really the spine for a lot of what goes along uh, on in this space. Sure. Um, the act seeks to strike an appropriate balance between A, the right of an adult with impaired capacity mm-hmm. to the greatest possible degree of autonomy in decision-making. Correct. While at the same time, B, the adult's right to adequate and appropriate support for decision-making. Correct. Uh, and so uh, that just really stood out to me as something that um, is at the heart of all of this. Is, Correct. Um, the right to autonomy and to live your own life while also providing adequate care and decision-making. 
Yes, exactly. That's right. Autonomy is, is really high up mm. uh, on, on, on the minds of QCAT when they're appointing mm. it. And, mm. and they will only appoint a guardian or a trustee in mm. circumstances mm. that really require mm. it. Mm. So, uh, and anyway. certainly if you're able to, if you have capacity, then you can appoint a ten, an attorney. That's um, right. Exactly. Yeah. Enjoying power of attorney. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is often done with your will. Exactly. You your will. Exactly. And mm. for our listeners out there, if you don't have one of those in place, it's really important you think mm. about getting that in place pretty quickly, particularly when, I mean, young people don't think about it, Luke. It's not something that young people ever consider. They don't think about an enduring power of attorney. Mm. But it's better to have one of those up front mm. than to go through a process mm. where it's open to the courts to appoint someone mm. who you might not want to be that mm. person making decisions for you mm. if that need ever arose. Mm. And so, I've heard you can tick on those enduring powers of attorney when you want those powers to kick in. Um, and if you find yourself, as something I've heard, if you find yourself, often you'll just tick off oh, straight away. And if you find yourself um, questioning that, well, perhaps you're appointing someone who you don't trust. Um, That's so right. So it's important that you can Good appoint point. someone that you trust. And, mm, mm. Um, and you should review your power of attorney. So it's, mm. it's easy for people to appoint someone and then forget about mm. it. And mm. then you might have a falling out with that person mm. five years later. Mm. And then you lose capacity five years after that. And then all of a sudden... Your power of attorney is someone who you don't want to be your yeah. power of attorney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so right, you have yeah. to be careful. Or you might appoint an older person as a power of attorney who later on dies, and mm. then obviously they can't exercise their mm. power of attorney because mm. they have died. Mm. So, yeah, I think you and I should go and check out our power of attorneys this mm. afternoon. Yeah, I know what I'll be doing after this yeah. podcast yeah, uh, yeah. finishes. I'm, I might draft one for you, Luke. It's all good. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, and my will as well. Oh I'm yeah, good. done. Bring it. It's all good. I can do that. Uh, all good. Great. Well, I think that's it in terms of my questions, Barry. Was there anything else you wanted to leave our listeners with in, in this space? Um, um, no, look, not at the moment. It's an interesting space of law to practice in. It's certainly an area we're getting more and more inquiries in. And um, mm. we, we've got some good results in that area. Mm. So uh, happy to help out. And it, it really fits with our ethos in our firm to be helping people in times of need. Mm. The, this is normally a time of need for them. Mm. So. Uh, Give us a call if you have any questions or send us an email and we'd be happy to help. Mm, absolutely. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Luke. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon and uh, listeners, we will be uh, on air again soon. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 07 3252-0011 or go to www.cornianlind.com.au forward slash contact.